Father in heaven, um, thank you for creating this world and speaking us into existence. Thank you for the mountains and for the hot and cool weather of, of Tucson. And Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for going ahead of us in the resurrection and giving us hope. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us wisdom as we wrestle with your word tonight. And we ask that you would give us courage to believe what's true and to throw out what's false. And Jesus, we declare this space your kingdom and the only king that we have. And we ask that you would bless us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, I just noticed that we don't have communion stuff, so somebody who knows how to do that, that would be awesome. I totally faked it. It's good to see all of you here. If you've been going through the summer, then you know, number one, that it's been hot in here. Um, number two, that the leaders have been speaking for the last six weeks, I guess, eight weeks, and we've been going through this series called uh, Interviews with Dr. Luke, so it's going through the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was this doctor who spent a lot of time collecting information about Jesus and Jesus' life. So he had manuscripts of Mark, and he had a lot of interviews that he did, and he put together one of the most comprehensive stories of Jesus, with the most detail. So we knew we couldn't go through the whole gospel this summer, so what we decided to do was walk all the way through it by just taking some interesting stories or things that would be important to us to listen to um, and to wrestle with and kind of walk through those together as we make it through Luke. So tonight we're going to look at Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 19, um, verses I think 28 to 44, somewhere around there. Um, and tonight what we're going to do is we're going to deal with uh, we're going to deal with faith, and we're going to deal with authority. Now, we live in a culture where <laughs> we don't like people to be in authority over us because authority means uh, that they take some of our rights or some of the control that we have in our life away. And so we're going to kind of see what Jesus has to say about that. So we're going to start, we're going to go backwards today, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 20. And let me give you the setting of this so that you know why the conversation is going on, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and all that kind of stuff. Jesus did something very dramatic before our little story. Jesus went into the temple and he started throwing things down. Now, how many of you guys watch Saturday Night Live at all? Okay, a few of you watch Saturday Night Live. Come on, just admit it. I know. Yeah, well, okay, the cast isn't all that great anymore. But there is a there is a great little song video thing called I Threw It on the Ground. And, and you see <laughs> this guy walking around and people hand him things, and they're good things, and he throws them on the ground. Well, this is kind of what Jesus did when he went into the temple, the place of the Jewish where the entire Jewish faith is organized around, their whole life, everything. He goes in there, and he starts throwing things down and getting mad and saying that they basically defaced the place that he worshipped. So if you can imagine Jesus strolling in slow motion, throwing things on the ground, it would be good for our story. 
So the Pharisees are going to talk to him about it afterwards. So verse 20, I mean chapter 20, verse 1. It says, One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel. I want to stop there. He's sitting there teaching, and the text says that he was preaching the gospel. Now, a lot of us think about the gospel as Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the gospel. But Jesus hasn't died yet, and he's talking about the gospel. The thing that he's teaching about is he's telling people what Jesus or what God is about. So the gospel is always what God is about. Now, gospel means victories. So when Jesus is telling the gospel to people, what he's really saying is, do you remember the leper that I healed? Do you remember the woman who I healed? Do you remember the blind man who can see? Do you remember these things that happened when God touched the earth? Right? When Jesus showed up. So when you think about the gospel and what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about what the way of God is and what's the evidence for the way of God. He's talking about, in a lot of ways, what he's done and why he's doing it. So he's, he's preaching about the gospel. He's probably explaining why he was throwing things around in the temple. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Okay, so it's not the, just the Pharisees. This is everybody. You know that you're in trouble when it's not just you're going to the principal's office, like the vice principal is there, the principal, the superintendent, and any of the uh, security guards show up, then you know that probably you're being suspended. And so all of these people show up to talk to Jesus, and here's what they want to know. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you the authority? Now, the actions of Jesus within the last three years, if the Pharisees are to accept them, it means that they are going to lose their way of life. They're going to lose control of things. right? And the only way that it would be okay for them to lose control, to, to admit that Jesus was who he said he was, would be if he actually had authority to do it right? Because if you don't have authority, like if a policeman comes and knocks on your door and starts asking you a questions, even if you're completely innocent, your heart starts beating a little bit because you think this guy's got authority to do something to me. Whereas if, you know, the 13-year-old boy comes and knocks on your door and wants to play with your daughter, you just smack him in the head, right? You don't, he has no authority <laughs> whatsoever, he, he can't say anything to you. Um, and so with the, the, the Pharisees, they have all of this power. Their entire, like the whole culture is built around basically them and their acts of worship and all that kind of stuff. So they're asking, what authority do you have? Well, you know, all of us are in the Pharisee's position. We all want to have control over everything. We want to have control over our life. We want to have control over the way we spend our money. We want to have control over um, how much taxes we pay. We want to have control over the way our wife and husband and girlfriend and kids behave. We, we want control over a ton of things. You can go down the list in your life and say, 
that would be hard for me to give up. Yes, that would be hard for me to give up. That would be hard for me to give control of that up. I'm sure that you can think of something that you don't want to let go of. Well, let me take it one step, more step. You're all here tonight. So if you're here, at some level, you're wrestling with Jesus. Either you know him and you like him, or you're just experimenting, or you're just here because you think it's good for somebody or something. But you're trying to organize and figure out a relationship with Jesus. Which means that Jesus is probably talking to you, which means that he's asking for some of your autonomy, some of your self-control, some of your own self-rule, some of your life. No matter where you are with Jesus, he's still asking you for something that you have in a closed fist. And the question that you're asking Jesus is the exact same question that the Pharisees are asking, and that is, by what authority do you have to ask? Right? Typically, this is just like, why? Why would you have the right to ask for these things? Now, verse 3, he says, he replied, I will also ask you a question. Now, he knows that if he says, God, like I'm God and God gives me this authority, then he's going to get himself in trouble with the people, probably at some level, or at least with the Pharisees, and he's going to get himself in big trouble with the Romans, because Caesar is God, and if you begin to say you're God, then there's a problem. So he knows he's going to get himself into trouble. But also, I don't know, if you just kind of turn the Bible on its head, the Gospels, and you just kind of look at Jesus as a parent, and the Pharisees as willful children, um, you might get some parenting tips. So when your child is belligerent and is arguing with you, instead of telling and explaining to them Ask them a question that's very difficult for them to understand. Like a couple of weeks ago, or maybe I guess it was a long time ago when I was preaching, I was preaching on Jesus. He's asked a question, and instead of answering it, he just tells a story. Try that with parenting. The next time your child asks you a question, say, let me tell you a story. And then just start telling them a story about what they asked, but don't answer their question. I guarantee you about halfway through, they'll just walk away. They're like, I'm done. But here Jesus understands that there's a power struggle going on and the Pharisees are trying to get something from him. And so he asks them a question and forces them to deal with their own, their own issues. He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and they said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. It's a great little story. Now, John the Baptist was the guy who went before Jesus, who announced Jesus. And John the Baptist is the one who just yelled, here comes the Messiah. And the Pharisees didn't think he was from God, but the people did. And so Jesus asks them this question. Now, they have an option. They could simply say, you know what? John's baptism was from God. And then he would say, well, why didn't you believe him? And then they could have said, we're sorry. Like, that was a mistake of ours. We now believe that. And then all of a sudden there would have been 
a bigger understanding of what the gospel was. But for them, they act more like my children do, which is when you ask them, why is the vase broken? They say, I don't know. I don't know. How did this happen? I don't know. Even when they're holding the baseball bat in their hand and the window's broken and you say, why is the window broken? I don't know. A ball hit it, I think. I mean, it's, so it, and it's that frustrating moment. But I wouldn't be so upset at the Pharisees for their I don't know. Because if someone asks you basically for your life, you're not going to give them your life unless you know them, right? Unless you're not going to accept the authority of someone who's asking for a ton from you unless you know them really. But in Christianity and in following Jesus, the thing that we've always said is just trust that Jesus is good and then get to know him, right? Have this gigantic leap of faith. Allow God to be your complete authority and guide your life. But the problem is, most of us have a hard time doing that because we don't know Jesus. And I will tell you, I've known Jesus for 35 years. I became a Christian when I was five. It's actually 36 years. And at 36, I am and the fairest, at 36 years of being in a relationship with Jesus, I often find myself in Jesus, or in these Pharisees' shoes, saying, by what authority do you have to ask me to do that? Like, what right do you have to ask me to give that up, to change, to be obedient in these places? And part of the reason that is, after 35 years, I don't know Jesus very well. And I think that that is the problem with most of us, is that when we struggle with God in the areas where he's pushing in on our life, the reason that it's so difficult is that we don't know him. And partly that's because we've thought that we're supposed to give up all authority to Jesus before we actually take the process of getting to know him. That if we were to get to know Jesus, it would be a lot easier for us to say, yeah, I know where your authority came, and I'm willing to give that up in my life. I'm willing to follow you. So, what I want to offer you tonight, because I think that's really where all of us are, at some level, we don't trust God. And so we don't accept his authority. Right? Because if one of you came up to me and said, hey, Eric, I think it would be good for me to start running your finances. Now, I know all of you, but I'm not going to let you have my bank account. I, I just honestly don't trust you that far. Or if you came and said, hey, I think I should take over parenting of your children. I would say, no, I don't trust you with my children. Like, you have to really, really trust someone to give up your life. Now, last week we talked about the leper, and we talked about this story of the persistent widow. And at the end of the persistent widow, Jesus says, when I return, will anyone have faith? Will the Son of Man find faith? And really what he was asking was a very vulnerable question, and that was, when I come back, will anyone see me as trustworthy? Or in the midst of trial and tribulation and anxiety, will we have just given up on God? 
because we don't think he's trustworthy. And so we're not willing to give up our own ownership of ourselves. So tonight what I want to do is just actually give you a little bit of an opportunity to be in relationship with Jesus. I just want to go through Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 28. And I want you to see a picture of Jesus that might help you trust him a little bit. That will maybe dispel some of the things that you struggle with with him in asking whatever it is he's asking from you. And all of you when you're sitting here know that God is asking something from you that you just do not want to let go of. So let's start in verse 28. This is prior to Jesus going into the temple and throwing things around. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This passage, starting in verse 28, Jesus is going to head into the temple, or into Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the big city. The temple is where God, the God of the universe is supposed to dwell. And Jesus is going to ride in. Now, he tells his disciples that there's this colt who's never been ridden. And he tells them that there's, a word that they're supposed to say. They're supposed to get this cult for him, and if anybody asks, they just say, the Lord has need of it, right? Now, possibly because Jesus is all-knowing and he knew that that cult was there and this is random, but I don't think so. Just as a side note, Jesus, this is for free, he's real smart, right? And I suspect that Jesus had this plan for a long time, and Jesus had a code word for, his, for the guy who owned the cult, that when my disciples come to take the cult, you're supposed to ask them who needs this, and they'll give you... The Lord has need of it. I think he planned it out. But 
here's the thing that's about this. The first thing about Jesus that's important for us in getting to know him is this word Lord. Okay, sometimes we say things like Jesus Christ the Lord, right? Well, Christ means king. So what we're saying is King Jesus the Lord. When you talk about the word Lord, you're talking about a word that we use in theology called sovereignty. Well, we all know a nation is sovereign, right? It, it rules over its space. So the first thing about God, about Jesus, that you need to know is that he is sovereign. Okay? Now, what that means is, is that you, regardless if you want to or not, come under the rule of Jesus. Because God created you. Jesus spoke you into existence. So the first thing in relationship to Jesus that you need to kind of begin to work through is is that you are Jesus's regardless if you want to be or not. He made you. You're his. Okay? And when it's talking about sovereign rule, it doesn't matter. It's not that Jesus looks over you and he knows exactly how you're going to tie your shoes and all those. I mean, he may know that. He may have known that beforehand, but that's not what it's talking about. When we're talking about sovereignty, it actually is you are under the protection and rule of Jesus. Like, there's this, it's, there's nothing that happens outside of his purview. So, you're his, he knows about you, he created you, he cares about you. He's your Lord. And that's the first thing to remember about Jesus. Now, the second thing that happens here is they're riding into Jerusalem and this, you know, when a, when a king rides into a city, if he rides in on a horse, he's riding in because he's victorious or he's coming to, to judge, like he's coming to he establish his rule in the city. So he'll come in on a horse and he'll have a bunch of slaves behind him. But Jesus comes in on a donkey. A donkey is a very humble animal. But it's also an animal that symbolizes peace. So Jesus rides into the city as a king, but as a king of peace. The second thing you need to know about Jesus, and that you need to kind of wrestle with, is that in our chaotic world, Jesus is about peace. And I think that that is something we have to stop for a minute, because most of us live very frenetic, very chaotic lives. You know, ever since, I think it's 1999 till now, the amount of information that's been produced in the last 13 years, all of history has not produced that much information. Like We are at a place where information and life is moving so fast that like people have these gigantic resorts that we go to and we pay lots of money for people to stand on our backs and jump up and down and put hot rocks on us and, and try to get us to slow down. And, and we all keep saying we need to go on vacation, but when we go on vacation, we really just want to come back home. And everything feels chaotic. But the thing that Jesus keeps saying is that when he asks to be the authority in your life, he's not asking as a violent person. He's not coming in and saying, fine, if you don't want to give it to me, I'm going to rip it out of your hands. No, Jesus is coming in as a king in your life in peace, not as violent. And a lot of times, when someone asks for your life, you feel like you're in a, in 
power struggle with that. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not a power struggle. I actually, he says earlier, and he says in Matthew that his burden is light. The burden you carry is heavy. So he's bringing peace. So number one, he created you and he's sovereign. Number two, relationship with him will reduce your chaos. He will make things clearer if you're willing to let go. Jesus and relationship with Jesus is about peace. The third thing that happens in here is that the disciples and people who've been impacted by Jesus are telling their story by singing. They're singing about what Jesus has done in their life. That's a good thing to do. But the Pharisees, and here's why the Pharisees are hanging out with them. If you're a cool teacher like Jesus, you have to have a group of Pharisees follow you around because they're sort of like the watchdogs. I don't know if you've ever had a friend like this who every time you say something, if you say it wrong, they correct you. Right? They tell you, no, that's not how it is. Or, or if you pronounce something incorrectly or say use the wrong tense, then they tell you that. Right? They, they are your correctors. Well, this is what the Pharisees were there. They weren't just, oh, Jesus is cool and we need to find out about him. If you follow the gospel, you realize as soon as Jesus starts talking, pe- these guys show up and they're there all the time because they want to make sure that he's not straying from the doctrine. Okay? So these are, these are the Jewish doctrine police, and they say, you need your disciples to be quiet, because they're freaking out, because Jesus is riding into the city on a donkey, and this is what kings do, and people are throwing their cloaks down, and they're celebrating, and they're singing, and this seems like maybe he's acting a little bit too much like a Messiah. This could get out of hand. It's Passover. There are a lot, a lot of people here. This could be bad for us. We need to shut down our embassies. So that's, that's what they were doing. And Jesus says, you know what? If they don't sing, the stones will sing. And I think this is really important because I think a lot of times what you hear in our culture, and sometimes we feel this way, is that Jesus is just manipulating us. Jesus is a God with a low self-esteem who needs people to tell him how good he is. Right? That Jesus, the only reason that he wants to have authority over your life so that you can stroke him and make him feel good about himself. Right? But I think what Jesus is saying here is, you know what? I don't need people's praise because if people don't praise me, the rest of my creation will praise me. I will get my praise. It might come from stones. It might come from trees. It might come from mountains. But I don't need people to sing about what I've done for me to be okay. My relationship with you and with these people is not about me manipulating you to make me feel good about myself. So Jesus is not a manipulative God. He's not here to manipulate you. He's not here to force himself on you. The fourth thing. As Jesus looks at the temple, or looks at the city, Jerusalem, before he enters in, and he begins to cry. And the reason that he begins to cry is because he realizes that he is, I mean, he knows this, he's God, and he brings peace, and the city is going to reject him. So these people are not going to accept him as God. And because of that, in 70 A.D., the Romans will completely flatten the temple and Jerusalem. And if you are a historian, you like reading 
people like Josephus, if you read those descriptions of how Jerusalem fell, it's horrific. People were feeding on their children because there was no food. It was just a horrible, horrible thing. And Jesus sees that, and Jesus weeps over it. What I think is really fascinating here to me is that Jesus, when you and I are disobedient, isn't like, I told you so. I told you if you didn't do that, this is what would have happened. He's not like me. See, a couple days ago, my son, who I told to stay in bed, and I told him he had a whole hour before, before he could come out. So he had half an hour to fall asleep, and then he could come out if he couldn't sleep. Had decided that he would roll himself up in a blanket with his arms like this and turn perpendicular on the bed and kind of bounce up and down. And then he slipped and went flying to the floor. And he has kind of a high bed. And he couldn't put his hands out in front of him to stop himself. So his head hit the concrete. And <laughs> and so I sat down with him and I was like, well, that's what happens when you don't listen to me. right? That's what you get. In fact, I went as far as to tell you, see, this is how Jesus spanks you. This was a Jesus spanking because you. this is what natural consequences are. Jesus is not like me, right? Jesus is not like me. Jesus sees my son fall off the bed, and he's not going to rescue him, but he cries. He weeps that my son cut his lip, and I did act kind and gentle with him, but my initial reaction was I was not very happy. Um, and that's important because, you know, a lot of times you and I, when we do stupid things, we're disobedient, and we're experiencing the consequences, and what we hear, even if no one tells us, is, well, it served you right. That was stupid. Why'd you do that? Like, even as we have to, in the small things and in the extreme things that we've done in disobedience, endure the consequences, Jesus, in relationship with us, does not go, well, that was dumb. Why did you do that? I'm giving you a Jesus spanking now. What he, that's not what he says. What he says is, he says, man, I wish you would accept me. I wish you would embrace me. And he cries over your pain. So the invitation for Jesus to, to have you let go of whatever it is, to have him as an authority in your life, to whatever it is he's asking you to let go, he's doing it in the context of saying, Get to know me. I'm actually trustworthy. I created you. The relationship that I have and I'm offering you, if you let go, is not chaotic. It's not going to be crazy. In fact, it's about peace. I'm not going to violently make you do this. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to ask you to do it. I'm going to call you to do it. I'm going to tell you lots of stories about other people who did it and what happened to them. I'm going to invite you. See, peace is about invitation. Violence is about just taking. And Jesus, when he's asking for something from you, is literally just asking. Let go. Now, in knowing Jesus a little bit, he does pry your fingers off of it. Just like I pry my son's fingers off something he's got a hold of that he shouldn't. But, and that thing, whatever it is that God is asking you to let go of, you know, He's not going to control you. He's not going to manipulate you. He's not going to try to take advantage of you. This is not, in a sense, this is the only time it's not about him. It's about you. 
not, he's not trying to make this about him. He's saying you need to let go. I am trustworthy. You have to trust me with the results. But the other thing I just want you to hold on to tonight is even if you just keep saying no, while you say no, I'm not going to let go of this thing. I, I don't want to enter into a relationship with my wife or husband that way. I don't want to enter in with my kids, whatever it is. Jesus isn't going to be like, well, then I'm just going to have to give you a Jesus spanking. He may give you a Jesus spanking, because he does. He'll, he will let the consequences affect you. But he's going to weep about it. He's, it's going to emotionally impact him. The God of the universe is emotionally impacted by the consequences of your disobedience. That's like that's mind-blowing. The God who spoke the universe into being cries over you when you disobey. That's pretty powerful. So, what I all I wanted to do tonight was just say, you know what? Whatever it is that God's asking you to let go of, don't feel like you have to, like, i got to let go of it right now. Actually say, you know what? I'd like to get to know Jesus first. Because the more you get to know Jesus, the more willing you're to let go of the things that you have that you don't want to let go of. I think I have a time for you. It's my time clock. What's that? 6.05. I got five minutes. Anybody want to ask me a question? Or we can... Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, donkeys themselves are not humble. <laughs> if you know anything about donkeys. Um, but when it comes to what you ride on as a ruler, usually a donkey is symbolic of peace, whereas a horse is symbolic of war. So Jesus rides in as a, as a king of peace instead of a king of war. But no, donkeys will just kick and hee-haw, and yeah, they're not necessarily the nicest people. Any other questions, thoughts, comments? Yes, ma'am. Maybe that donkey was humble. I don't know. 
Any other thoughts, questions, comments? Nothing? All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for their love for you. I just ask that as we are asked to give up things that are difficult for us, um, that we would do the work to be in relationship with you, to, to really experience the fact that you are trustworthy and that you don't abandon us and that you love us deeply. And I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. A couple ways um, tonight to respond to God's word. One is through offering. If you're a visitor with us, we're just happy to have you. You don't need to give anything. Um, but I'm just going to pass the baskets out and if the last person would put that basket underneath a chair or something, that would be awesome. Um, it looks like we're out of bread, so they've used tortillas today. So, um, on the night that Jesus was, it's unleavened bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and it was bread without leaven, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And at the end of that meal, he took the wine, and he held it up, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. So if you can do that, if you can come and break off a tortilla and dip it in the juice, or the wine, and remember, if you can stand with Jesus and his broken body, and his blood poured for you, please come and take communion. We're going to spend some time singing. We're going to um, eat together in response to God's word. So let's do that. <laughs>